Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, August 18th, 2019, we continue our series titled, Genesis, In the Beginning. Today's sermon, The Promises of God, will be taught to us by Pastor Thomas Slager out of Genesis chapters 11, verse 27 through 14, 24. Enjoy. Up until this point in our study of Genesis, we've kind of been covering the first half of our theme. Um, It's a theme we've called creation and chaos. So what we've seen so far, we've seen God creating everything. We've seen the fall of mankind. We've seen the flood, the story of Noah. And then most recently, we saw the whole story of the Tower of Babel and how God dispersed people all over the earth. Now we're moving into what we're calling people and patriarchs. It's the story of the four main characters in the book of Genesis. That's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, And Joseph. Now, just to remind you, over the course of our studies in Genesis, we are in Genesis across the entire campus. Okay, so this morning, Highlands kids are learning too that they can trust the promises of God. This morning, Highlands students are also learning that we can trust the promises of God. And this morning, here together, we're going to learn that we can trust the promises of God. All of this is for the sake of us being able to grow together as a family. So, parents, I'd ask you this week. Um, to just raise some great questions with your kids. Maybe have a little small group time at home over dinner tonight or at some point this week and just have the conversation, the ongoing conversation of what we're learning about during our time in Genesis. One more thing, just so you know, when we stand up here on a Sunday morning, uh, the guy preaching, we're not just preaching like the ideas of one person. We do have a preaching team that meets every Tuesday morning for at least an hour to just dive in the passage together and talk about, man, what's, what's really in there and then what's in there for the people of Highlands Church? Where are our people at and then how do we really drive that home? What we've done this year is that we've added um, a new aspect to that and it's been incredible. We've actually added three ladies to our kind of research team that we've created. Um, And I wanna say thank you to them real quick. Kathy, I know you're here, Kat and Courtney. Kat is traveling somewhere. I don't know if Courtney is in this service. Um, Kathy, you could stand up and we'll just clap for you again. Um, What they have done They're essentially creating seminary-level research material for us every single week um, just to help us study what the text says better. So ladies, thank you for giving us a less masculine perspective on things. Um, We greatly, greatly appreciate that about you. So as I said, this morning we're in Genesis chapter 11 through 14 talking about the promises of God. Promises are a weird thing. Um, they're weird because, I don't know about you, but I've had people make promises to me that they've broken. Um, is this news to you or you too have had someone break a promise? Um, we've probably broken promises before and have had promises made that have been broken towards us. Um, as a parent, I, I do this. I break promises to my kids all the time. Uh, I will tell them, they said, Dad, can we go to Chick-fil-A tomorrow? And I know it's a Sunday, but I don't want to talk about it. So I say, yes, I promise And they say, really? Well, we'll see. And see, here's the thing. As a parent, I promise means we'll see. And every parent knows we'll see means not a chance, right? (laughs) Like that's just the flow that we run as mom and dad. We just say something so we think our kids will forget about it. Um, But that's not the case. Even as a kid, I remember this. As a child, we know that people break their promises. So when someone says, I promise, we follow up to just see the sincerity of their promise. We say, do you swear? Do you swear on so-and-so's grave? Yeah, I do. Do you pinky swear? 
So we pinky swear. Do you cross your heart, hope to die, stick a needle in your eye, promise that you will do it? And, and this is what we do as kids, right? As adults, we shake on it. As a kid, we'd make it gross and we'd like spit in our hand and spit shake on it for some reason. And, and all of this because we know that we are inclined to break our promises. Now here's what we do with God. Because each of us have encountered promise breaking before, we look at the promises of God and we wonder if people break their promises, does God break his promises too? And the thinking that since maybe, maybe since people have let us down, that someday God will let us down too. That maybe because people have failed us, maybe God will fail us as well. Well, friends, the story we see this morning in the first part of Abraham's story, we see that God never lets us down. That when God makes a promise, he keeps his promise 100% of the time. Let me pray for us once more and then we're gonna hop in uh, to our study together this morning. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you do keep your promises. Thank you for um, not following our example uh, and, and making oaths we don't keep, but God, you do. When you say something is gonna be, it is. God, your yes is yes and your no is no. And this morning, we rest in that truth that you can, in fact, be trusted. So God, would you open our ears this morning that we would hear you? Would you open our eyes so we could see you, open our minds to know you, and open our hearts to love you for who you are? God, we do all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. There's gonna be four main points, kind of structure points that we see in our passage together this morning, the first of which is foundations of Abram's story. Foundations of Abram's story. Now you might say, I thought we were talking about Abraham. Well, Fun thing, same guy, okay? Because God took Abram and changed his name to Abraham. Uh, and we'll learn about that in another part of his story. Just so you know, this morning I apologize. I'm probably gonna say Abe, Abram, Abraham. It's the same guy, okay? So don't, don't hear me wrong. Um, foundations of Abram's story. We really pick up the foundations of Abram's story in chapter 11, verses 27 through 31, and what we see in this part of the story uh, is Abraham with a family, he has a dad named Terah, a nephew named Lot, and a wife named Sarai. They go to this town called Haran, and they settle there. Um, shortly after they settle, we're not totally sure how long they're there for, Abraham's dad, Terah, actually dies. So Abraham, being the oldest son in the family, he would now become the leader of the family, right? So all of the land that was his father's would become Abraham's land. All of the things, the possessions that were his father's were the inheritance, those would now go to Abraham. So contextually, we're left with a guy with a barren wife who set up shop in Haran who's inherited all of his father's stuff. Kind of a strange situation and strange context. Now, looking at the story, we'd like to think that God always chooses people who come from this like long line of faithful people. That's just not the case in Abraham's story. What we see in, in Joshua chapter 24, verses 22 and 3, which we have up on the screen, um, it actually tells us about Abraham's dad, Terah. It says, Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah the father of Abraham, and Nahor, and they served other gods. So we're not talking about some like very devout family who always serve the Lord. We're actually talking about a family who served other gods instead of the one true God. So God selecting this family to reveal himself to, to work through, to make promises to, is completely an act of grace and nothing else. So where do we find ourselves coming into chapter 12? 
Well, we see a man named Abraham with a land to maintain, a household to keep, an inheritance to steward, and a wife that's barren. Now, why is that important? Because the promises of God deal exactly with the situation that Abraham finds himself in. The second thing we see in our story is this, faith expressed in the promises of God. Faith expressed in the promises of God. God's gonna make Abraham some promises um, and Abraham is going to express his faith through obedience. And, And as you know, this is the way faith is supposed to work. Faith should reflect itself in obedience. If we say we believe in something, then we should do it. We shouldn't just give it lip service, but we should serve what we believe with our entire life. Now, chapter 12, verses one through four, we can split it into two parts. First, we can see the command, and secondly, we can see the promise. Both of them are related. First, let's look at the command in verse one. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So see what he's done. Abram has a land. God says, leave your land. I'll give you a new one. Abraham has a family. God says, leave your family, I'm gonna give you a new one. Abraham has an inheritance from his father. God says, leave your father's house and go inherit the things I'm going to give you. Now this would be difficult, see, because Abraham has this newfound responsibility, this new land, this family, this inheritance, all of these things that he's been responsible, that he's been given to steward and take care of. So he has a choice, do I do it or do I not? That is the command. The second piece, verses one through three, uh, we see the promise of God. Now this is classically referred to as the Abrahamic covenant. Um, It's a covenant that God makes with Abraham that God intends on keeping. Uh, And there's three different parts to that. Let's start in verse two. He says this, I will make you a great nation. So leave your family, leave your land. I'm gonna make you something better. Leave what you've known and go into what I have for you. I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So it's a threefold thing. We can think of this promise in three words. We can think of it as land. He's gonna give him a land. Family and blessing. God's gonna give him a nation, right? A big, big chunk of land to lead and for all of his people to inhabit. He's gonna give him a family even though his wife is barren. Now this is gonna um, prove to be difficult later on in the story and we're gonna have some mistrust happen again from Abraham. Land, family, and then third is blessing. God is gonna uh, just expand his riches and help him become the nation that he's called him to be. So three things he's told to leave. Leave your land, I have a new land for you. Leave your family, I have a new family for you. Leave your household, leave your inheritance. I have a new inheritance for you. Verse four, we see his response. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. He just just responds in obedience. He just responds, and this, this would be hard to do, right? Because we all have our own thing going on, don't we? And we've worked really hard to have our own thing going on and to get to the place we're at in life. And Abraham has found himself in this place in life and God says it's time to give it all up and go towards something else. What would provoke Abraham to do such a thing? Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, commonly referred to as the hall of faith. It's like famous people who serve the Lord throughout the scriptures. Hebrews chapter 11 says this about Abraham and why he did what he did. It says, by faith, by faith, Abraham 
obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He already had an inheritance. He had an inheritance from his earthly father. But now God is calling him to go towards something else and he responds in faith which leads him to respond in obedience. See, he could have just said, you know God, I believe you could do those things, but nah, I don't, just don't wanna do it. But, but faith and obedience are always connected. If we believe in something, if we have faith in something, we really will act accordingly. And he went out not knowing where he was even going. Now how many of uh, you have control issues this morning, right? Some of you are raising your hand because you're relinquishing control. Most of you are saying, I'm gonna control the situation and keep my hand in my pocket, right? <laughs> I ain't having none of that. Well, that, 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 this, here's what's happening. Like, we've, we've all got some control things and Abraham had his thing going on and God says, I'm calling you away from that to do a new thing and I'm not even gonna show you what the thing is yet. So it takes a tremendous amount of faith for Abraham to just step out and express that faith to the promise of God. The third thing we see in our text this morning uh, are some problems that seem to occur, some things that begin to seemingly compromise the promise that God has made. Three things. We see famine, fear, and family. Famine, fear, and family, things that begin to compromise God's promise. The first problem we see is chapter 12, verse 10. Chapter 12, verse 10 says this. Now, there was a famine in the land, Okay, remember the third part of that promise. We're gonna give you land, we're gonna give you family, we're gonna give you blessing. Now, famine is not typically equated with blessing, right? Fertility is, fruitfulness is, faithfulness is. So we're left questioning, like, God, are you gonna make good on your promise here? Because you said you were gonna lead him to a land and he was gonna become a great nation and the land that you've led him to is stricken with famine. We begin to ask the question, maybe God doesn't keep good on his questions, just on his promises, just like some of my friends and family don't make good on their promises. The first problem for the promise we see is famine. The second problem we see for the promise is fear. Fear, the second half of verse 10, it says this. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. There was a famine that was severe in the land. So this land's not good, let's go try another land. They go to Egypt. Now this is a romantic story we hear about Abraham and his wife, Sarai. Check this out. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. Isn't that cute? And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they'll kill me, but they'll let you live. Now this presents more problems. The promise that God gave Abraham, he said, I'm gonna give you land, I'm gonna give you family, I'm gonna give you blessing. For Abraham to have any of those three things, Abraham kind of has to be alive, doesn't he? So this threat of potential death uh, seems to be a bit of a problem. So maybe Abraham is thinking, you know, God's got these promises for me and, and surely I must do my part. Right, surely I gotta show up so these promises for my life can become true. So he starts scheming and trying to figure out a plan. And this is the plan he comes up with. He says, hey, Sarah, um, instead of you being my wife in this town, let's go into town and tell everyone you're my sister. Because if they see that you're my sister, Pharaoh will just treat me really kindly because he'll, he'll like you, so he'll leave me alone. And that's exactly what happens. They go into this town, Pharaoh's princes see Abram's wife Sarai and they notice that she's beautiful in appearance so they bring her to live in Pharaoh's highest house as Pharaoh's wife. 
In return, Pharaoh blesses Abraham with a bunch of stuff. So we see in this part, Abraham gets blessed but loses his bride. This provides more problems. How is Abraham supposed to build a family if he has no bride? It's quite the predicament that he's gotten himself into, but God, again, because he's so gracious, reaches his hand in and fixes the situation just like he does with you and me when we mess up our own lives. God comes in and he inflicts Pharaoh's household uh, with all sorts of plagues. The text doesn't tell us what the plagues are, but we can, maybe it was boils or bugs or something gross that we see in the Old Testament. And, and, and Pharaoh realizes it's probably because this, this woman, Sarai, is in my house. Everything was fine till, till she showed up. So he goes to, to, to Abraham. He's like, what's the deal? Why'd you do this? Well, I didn't want you to kill me. She's actually my wife. I'm sorry about that. Uh, and Pharaoh says, you take her back. So gives him his wife back. They get a bunch of blessing and they end up leaving Egypt together again. See, again, we see a problem posed in the story and maybe we start thinking God's promises won't come true, but what happens is God intercedes even though Abram messes the whole thing up. Why? Because God's promises always come true. The third problem, the third compromise we see for God's promise is family. Um, Now, I'm sure none of us have some family strife in the church this morning, um, but in Abraham's family, there certainly was. We look at chapter 13 together. Chapter 13, verse two says this, now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. God had begun blessing him the way he said he would despite of Abraham's foolish decisions. Verse five, and Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. This is gonna provide another problem. God has led them to this land, and now we see the land isn't big enough for the two of them. So what's the, what's the solution? What's the solution to the problem? Abraham has already tried one time. He's seen a problem. They, the Pharaoh might kill me, that whole thing, so he does the weird, this is not my wife, it's my sister, and that goes the way it does. So is he gonna come up with another real fancy solution for this one, or is he gonna be faithful and trust God? What we see is he actually offers up the situation and allows God to do God's thing in a different way. He takes his nephew Lot, you can think about them going like up to Pinnacle Peak, Okay, they go to the top of Pinnacle Peak and they look out this way and, and they see True North and Estancia and just beautiful. Way off in the distance, they see Scottsdale National and they're like, that's where I wanna be. Right, these beautiful, beautiful, lush greens that are impossible to play, but yet lush nonetheless, right? It's just beautiful and then they look this way and they just see this like heat rising from the valley, right? It's like, well, which one do you want, Lot? Abraham gives him the choice. He says, the choice is yours. I'm not making the decision this time. Which land would you like for yourself? Which land do you think Lot chooses? He picks the fruitful one, the fertile one, because he has herds, he has flocks, he has people too, so he wants to provide the best possible thing he can for his people. However, we look at verse 11 uh, and see this might not have been the best decision. Chapter 13, verse 11 is why this was not such a great choice on Lot's part. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. 
Um, now this is a little Easter egg, for the, it's a foreshadowing, right? Because we know what happens in Sodom and Gomorrah, just a few short chapters from where we're at now. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Uh, not the main point of our text this morning, but I do think there's some application and something to be learned here, that sin is often veiled in something beautiful, right? Because what we see here is we see Lot choose the land based upon the appearance. He basically walks by sight and not by faith. I see what's good, so I'll take what's good. Um, the scriptures encourage us walk by faith and not by sight, to trust God, to give things up to him. And what we see is that this decision almost, it essentially leads to Lot's demise. It's not a good choice for him to make because he's not walking by faith. He's only walking by, by sight and, and looks can be deceiving, can't they? In 14 through 18, God shows up to Abram and they separate and, and God just reiterates the promise. He says, look, look out, look out at the desert, look out at the land. Everything that you see, as far that way, as far that way, as far that way, as far that way, everything you can see is going to be yours. God reiterates the promise and then he reiterates a second piece of the promise. He says, all of the sand, if you were able to go out and number every speck of sand, that's how great your family will be. That's how large your offspring will be. God essentially rewards him by reaffirming the promise he made because Abraham's beginning to walk in faithfulness. The fourth part we see in our story this morning is fighting to remain faithful. Fighting to remain faithful. In chapter 14, we meet a coalition of kings who begin conquering the surrounding areas. One of the areas they conquer is the area of Sodom, which is where Lot now lives. So Lot gets captured. Someone comes to Abraham and says, here's what's going on. There's this coalition of kings conquering the whole place. And your cousin Lot, your nephew Lot, he's been captured too. So Abraham, because he wants to be faithful, faithful to God and also faithful to his family, he sets out on this conquest to get his nephew back. Eventually, he does. It's, he kind of develops this like gang of 300 like from the movie and brings them with him to go conquer all of these places. And after conquering and getting back his nephew, uh, we see this in chapter 14, verse 17. It says this, after his return from the defeat of Charmander or whatever that place is called, uh, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva. That is the king's valley. So two kings are going to approach Abraham, two kings, two kings from very different places and different positions. The king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva and Melchizedek, uh, we learn about Melchizedek in Hebrews, so he's a pretty important character here. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was high priest of God most high. And Melchizedek blessed Abraham and he said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Abram's response is this, he gives him a tenth of everything. He gives him a tithe. He gives him a tithe of everything he's earned on his conquest. He receives a blessing from God from this guy Melchizedek and just says, I wanna, I wanna bless you and give you a tenth of what I've earned. The king of Sodom, however, they have a very different interaction. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the person, so give, back, give me back my people, but take the goods for yourself. So everything you've, you've won off of the things during these conquests, you keep all that stuff for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hands to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that's yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. 
See, what Abram has done, he's done taking things into his own hands for now in this part of the story. Sodom offers him what we would consider filthy lucre, right? And Abram essentially wants nothing to do with that. He says, I don't need your lucre. I don't need your possessions. I don't need the things you're trying to bless me with because God, the Lord most high, he said he will bless me and I trust that he will bless me. I trust in that part of the promise. It also would have been totally acceptable for Abraham during his conquest to take all of this land for himself, right? God said, I'm gonna give you a land, I'm gonna give you land. Abram could have just said, sweet, as I win these different battles, I'm just gonna take it all for myself. I'm gonna take it. He doesn't. He doesn't accept the lucre. He doesn't accept the land. What he does is he trusts God to make good on the promises that God made. Now, as I said, uh, Abram ends at a pretty good spot in this morning's part of Abraham's story. Uh, But much like Abraham, Noah's story where there were some ups and downs that ended on a low key and uh, Abraham's life is gonna be filled with ups and downs and all arounds and everything few and far in between. He wasn't always faithful. In fact, sometimes he was rather foolish. And when I look at Abraham's life, I kind of begin to realize we're not all that different. Right, Abraham has these moments of great trust, great trust that God will in fact make good on the promises that God has made. He also has these moments of great foolishness where he tries to live his life according to his own will, according to his own plan. And when I look at my life, when I look at the promises that God has made me, I see myself trending at a very similar path. It's full of ups, it's full of downs, it's all around, few and far, everything in between. The Bible is full, it's full of promises of God and all the time I find myself, and maybe you do too, finding it simply hard to believe in some of the promises that he makes. For example, Romans chapter eight, verse 28. It's in a lot of Christian songs and on a lot of Christian coffee cups and Christian t-shirts and everything else. All things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I love that verse when things are great right? Of course things are going great. I'm called according to his purposes. I love him, right? And then life hits the fan, right? You see him in the good things and you're like, yeah, God, you're so good. You're so good. And we sing all of these songs and then life gets difficult and we're like, where are you at now? Right, you, you said you promised, you promised you were gonna be with me all the time. Matthew 28, God, or Jesus sends, he is God, Jesus sends his disciples out and says, behold, I'm with you all the way to the end of the age. That's a consistent message through the whole scriptures, by the way. God to Joshua after he takes command from Moses, don't be afraid, don't be fearful. I'm with you wherever you go. Hebrews chapter 13, God tells me, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, but then my life gets hard and I start thinking, where are you? I question. Jesus says he loves me. Psalms chapter 103 says that God removes my sin as far as the east is from the west. So far God has removed the sin from my life. Romans chapter six says I'm dead in my sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have gone and new things have come. Just like Abraham left the old and walked into the new, so God has told me I've left my old ways and I've walked into my newness of life and then I look at my life and I still like the stuff that I left behind. 
Am I, is it just me this morning? He makes these promises time and time and time again. And just like Abraham, I find them hard to believe. So what do we do? If I could offer you four encouragements this morning, um, they're not in your outline because someone forgot to get them in on time. Um, That's fine. You can write them down and pretend we got them in on time. Four encouragements. How do we trust God? How do I trust the promises of God? The first encouragement is this. Rely on God. Rely on God. Proverbs chapter three, verses five through eight says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. What does that require? It requires not leaning on my own understanding. See, in this story, Abraham tries to do things Abraham's way. They don't work. They don't work. When he trusts in God with all his heart, things go the way God would like them to go. This is how it works in our life. We rely on him. We trust in him. With all our heart, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be wise, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. We trust in the Lord, we fear the Lord, we rely on the Lord, and we begin trusting in the promises of God all the more. Secondly, we rest in him. We rely on him and we rest in him. Psalm chapter 46, verse 10 and 11 says this, be still, be still and just know that I'm God. Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You know that song we sing? Um, It's that whole, the God of angel armies is always by my side. That's this. The God who commands hosts of angels is on my team. He's with me. When I feel unsafe, when I feel scared, the scriptures say the God of Jacob is our fortress. He's my strong place. He's like a block wall that my enemies cannot get to. He's keeping me safe and I can rest in that. That means the things that scare me, they don't scare my God. The things that catch me off guard, God knew they were coming. And I can rest in him and know that he is God, that he will be exalted in the nations, that he will be exalted in the earth. And when I rest in him, he's exalted in my life. We rely, we rest. Thirdly, we rejoice and request. We rejoice and we request. Philippians chapter four, verses four through seven say this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. This should just be a state of mind for us as believers. We should just rejoice in God all the time. And I know when things are going well, this is a lot easier to do. We thank God for the blessings in our life. We thank God for making good on the promises that he made us. But then there's times of great anxiety uh, and just worry that happen in our life. And he tells us how to respond to that too. He says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Uh, Anybody got a situation in their life that's just causing some anxiety this morning? Right, some unknowns, some just uncertains. You thought things were going one way and they took a hard left or a hard right and now you're left wondering, what do I do? Well, first we rejoice and then secondly it says this, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, 
Let your requests be made known to God. Times of anxiety in our, our lives should just drop us to our knees. Anxiety should lead us to prayer. So if you're feeling anxious, the right response is go to the Lord and request, ask, plead with him, love him, talk with him, and see what he has for you through rejoicing and requesting his help. The fourth thing we can do to grow in our trust and grow in trusting the promises of God is to remember his faithfulness. It's to remember his faithfulness. If you look back on your life with lenses that are colored in the same color as the hand of God, you can find him working and moving in your life. It's that whole hindsight is 2020 thing, right? You look back and there was this tumultuous situation. You weren't sure what was gonna happen. And then on the other side, you look back and you're like, holy cow, that was God the whole time. That was God doing his thing. That was God that moved us out of town. That was God that changed my job. That was God who did that thing with my kid. That was God who did this. That was God who did that. We look at our life in the past and we see the faithfulness of God in the past and the faithfulness of God in this story and we remember if he was faithful then, he's faithful now because we serve trust and love a God who's today the same as he was yesterday, as he will be tomorrow. And friends, we can find hope and trust because God is always good on his promises. Okay, he doesn't need to pinky swear. Right? Right? He doesn't need to shake on it. He doesn't need to spit shake on it. He doesn't need to cross his heart and hope to die because the fact of the matter is he took that a step further, right? What he did, he took his son and put him on a cross to die for you and to die for me so I could have a relationship with God. Now I can read this book in light of the new situation I have with my Lord and Savior and say, God, you were faithful to all your people and now because of your son, I'm one of your people and you will be faithful to me as well. Friends, I don't know what you're struggling through this morning. I don't know what promise you're trying to hold on so tight to, but it seems to just slip away. But I'm here to tell you this morning, God always keeps his promises. 100% all the time, every time. He is faithful. Might we also be faithful back to him? Let's pray. God, you are so good to us. You're so faithful. Your promises always come true. God, in the story of Abraham, we see the ups and we see the downs and we see the moments where it's difficult for him to trust in you. And God, this morning, would you help us see those moments of our life? God, that thing that we're holding on so close to, that we're finding it difficult to trust, that we're finding it difficult to be faithful, God, would we just lay that at your feet this morning and would we say, God, you've got this. God, you've got this. God, thank you for your son, Jesus, who came and paid a price for my sin so I could have right relationship with you. God, you offer me grace and you ask that I respond in faithful obedience. So God, we ask that you would help us do that this morning, God. That you would give us a heart that longs for you, a heart that longs to please you, a heart that desires to be obedient to the calling you've placed in our life. God, thank you for being who you are. Thank you for being different. Thank you for being trustworthy, for being faithful. Would you help us trust in you this morning? God, as we respond now in worship, would you continue speaking to our hearts? And God, move us to a place of great faith, that place 
where we trust in you for the things you say you're going to do in our life. God, we love you. And all God's people said. Uh, If you are here this morning and you would just love to pray and ask God to help you increase in faithfulness in your life, our prayer team is gonna be down front this morning. Maybe a person you'd like to place your faith in Jesus for the first time, I'd invite you to come forward after service and we'll walk you through that and give you some resources to grow in your faith in Jesus Christ. Highlands Church, here's the deal. We serve a faithful and trustworthy God, don't we? Would we go increase in our trustworthiness of him and also imitate that in our own life and become a people of God, a people that is also trustworthy and a people that's also faithful to those he's puts in our life. We love you guys. Love one another. See you next week. Bye.